Uh, that's my favorite hymns or, or just my favorite songs. They have all the, the good things in them about the Lord. Uh, those old hymn writers, they, uh, they were close to the Lord. And Lord, I believe the Lord inspired them to write those words down. So uh, be thankful for those hymns and that old hymn book there in your pew. A lot of churches getting rid of that thing. And uh, we'll stand there and sing seven words 11 times over and over and, and all that stuff. Uh, I, don't, I don't much go in for that, but uh, I like the old time way. And I believe you do too. And I'm glad you're here today. And I don't believe you're here by accident. I believe God directs everyone to come to church. And you're here for a reason. And uh, I believe it's to hear from God's Word. Not anything I will be able to tell you, but what God's Word says. So having said that, if you have your copy of God's Word, if you turn to the book of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and we'll look at two verses this morning to begin with, but keep that Bible open because we're going to be all in this chapter this whole time for this next two hours, and uh, I'm just kidding, <laughs> I'm just kidding, uh, but we will be in this uh, chapter uh, for most of the time, I'll be reading a few more other verses, but... 1 Corinthians chapter 1, if you're able to stand, would you please stand for the reading of God's Word this morning? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting with verse 17. And here the Bible says, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved... It is the power of God. Amen. Heavenly Father, God, we come to you this morning, Lord, just thanking you for the reading of your precious word. Thank you for these precious people today that's got up and sung these songs of Zion, Lord, these hymns. Lord, thank you for each one that's here in these pews today. I'm praying now that you just meet with us. God, you're already here. Lord, if we'll just be willing and accepting of you. Lord, not quench the spirit, Lord, but just be willing and obedient and obey you. God, we know you'll do mighty things in our hearts today. For these things we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. Well, our text opens up this morning with the words of the tried and true Apostle Paul. Boy, if there was anybody that had wisdom and knowledge, it was the Apostle Paul. However, this morning as we're reading from our text, he is actually combating the problem that was going on there in Corinth of these so-called wise people. They really thought they had much wisdom and worldly wisdom was what they had. And so there was, there was a lot of problems because of it. Uh, Paul had received word back from a family there at the church at Corinth that the church was having problems. Do churches have problems? <laughs> Surely not. <laughs> I've been in churches long enough to know that if, if you've got a group of people together, uh, a, the body of Christ gets together, there's going to be divisions and contentions and things. They ought not be. Uh, that first early New Testament church had all things in common, the Bible said. But here, just a few years later, after that first church was established and more churches began, here we find this body of believers who are a, a wide range of different people from different cultures, but mainly they uh, were of the Greek culture. Corinth was a Greek city. It was established that way. And so they worshiped Greek gods. They had that Greek society that was going on, that culture. And it was a very intellectual place to live. And so a lot of people that lived there, uh, they focused on wisdom and, and knowing things. That was one of their main things in their life was the wisdom that they could, they could uh, get. And so they were having trouble. This family comes, if you look there in 1 Corinthians 1, verses 10 and 11, Paul explains it. He says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing. 
and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. In, in other words, like the first established body of Christ, the first New Testament church. That's what I want you to be. And, and he goes on to say in verse 11, For it has been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Apparently this was a family that belonged to the church at Corinth. They're concerned about what's happening inside the church, divisions and clashes and cliques and all this stuff. And so they, they tell Paul, they said, look, we've got problems. Now, Paul was the spiritual leader of this place. He was the one that established this church. And so he wanted to make sure they were on the right foundation. He had brought them that way. He had started them out that way. But as soon as he leaves, just like all the other places, other things start getting in there and mixing and mingling and problems begin. And you got outsiders that come in and they, they want to teach and preach a different way. And so Paul has to take care of them. And so in the next verses there, he's describing what caused this division. Look at 1 Corinthians 1, verses 12 through 16. He said, Now this I say that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius, and lest any should say that I had baptized in mine own name. And I baptized also the house of Stephanus. Uh, besides, I know not whether I baptized any other. So one thing that you need to be aware of is these people were really into titles. They were really into prestige. Elitism is what they were into. And so they wanted to brag and boast about who they sat under the preaching of and who they were baptized by. It was a big deal to them. You know, well, I got baptized by the Apostle Paul. Therefore, it's much more worthy than yours. You know? And somebody would come up and say, now, hang on a minute. I was baptized by Cephas, you know, one of the Lord's 12 disciples. So, you know, that's, that's much better. And somebody said, well, wait a minute, the eloquent speaker Apollos, that's who I was baptized by. And, and so they were all going on and on and on about all these different things, trying to outdo each other. And so they were fighting and quarreling, divisions and all these things happening in the church. And Paul says, listen, he said, I'm glad that I, I'm not going around claiming that I baptized this guy and that guy and all that. You know, there's a lot of people who want to do things like that. They want to brag about certain things they've done in the ministry. Well, I did this and I did that and all that. I don't care what you did. What I care about is what the Lord has done. And so, and that's the same as Paul. Paul doesn't care if he baptized one single person. That's not what he, he came there to do. And so, um, these people were really having problems. And, and, you know, they had these philosophers there in this, this Greek city, you know, Plato and, and Aristotle and Socrates, all these Greek philosophers. And they clung to that type of thing. This, these are worldly things. These philosophers were bringing in worldly, uh, uh, ideas into the culture. And so these people were wanting to, once they got saved, they were wanting to drag their worldly, um, ways of doing things into the church. You know, they want to keep that same type of mentality, that same type of thought, that same type of culture and all that. They want to drag all that stuff on into the church and, and infiltrate the church with it. Listen, there's a lot of people today who want to drag their old baggage into the church after they get saved. There's a lot of people today who say, well, I'm going to remain in the lifestyle that I was in. I've claimed to be a Christian, but I'm going to go to that church and I'm going to keep living in that wicked lifestyle. And there's churches that are accepting that. There's Christians today that have no backbone. They've, their backbones are like jelly. 
And they won't stand up for what's right or what God's Word says. So they say, anything goes. We don't care what you do. You come on in here. We love you. We won't ever say anything about your sin. That's going on in churches today. Why do you think the church has gotten weak today? That is what's happening. And Satan is behind all this. He's infiltrating churches all over the place. And because Christians are namby-pamby today, they are weak. They're allowing anything goes into the church. That's not God's church. That's not what God designed the church for. Yes, He loves all the world. He sent His Son here to die for the world. But He didn't want the church to be the world. The church is different. And so they were arguing amongst themselves who was the most elite. And it depended upon the preacher that baptized them, apparently. And so verse 17 that we opened up with, that's what Paul's addressing. He says, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. So Paul, right out of the, out of the, the hatch, he says, Listen, guys. All this silly arguing you're doing about who baptized you means absolutely nothing. He said, God did not send me here to baptize you. He sent me here to preach the gospel. He sent me here to preach about that old rugged cross. Not to baptize you. Baptism is just a secondary thing. Baptism is not necessary for salvation. Baptism is a follow-up to your salvation. You're following in the footsteps of Christ. It's an outward sign that I have already been saved. And I'm proving to the world. I'm showing the world. I am coming up a new creature in Christ. And I'm following after the Lord Jesus Christ here. But you don't have to be baptized to be saved. Now there are some people that don't believe that. Some people want to preach against what the Bible says about it. Well, this alone should be proof here. Paul saying that, you know, baptism, that's not why I was sent. Why would the Lord, if baptism was necessary, why would He not send preachers to baptize people? He sent them to preach the gospel. This alone is proof enough that those that claim baptism is necessary for salvation is not true. In fact, we read in the Bible that the Lord Jesus Christ never baptized anyone. You want Bible for that? How about John chapter 4 verses 1 through 3? The Bible says, When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than... And then it says in verse 2, Though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again unto Galilee. So this was going on even in Jesus' ministry. People were going around talking about, well, you know, those that are following this Jesus and everything, he's, he's getting more people baptized than anybody. And so the Bible wants to make it very clear here. God wants to make it very clear to us. He wrote it in his word that Jesus didn't baptize anybody. It was his disciples. They did it. After they got saved, after Jesus imparted the words of, of life unto the people and they believed and received Christ, then the disciples said, hey, let's go get baptized. But Jesus didn't do that. Well, not only was Paul not sent to baptize, but he wasn't sent to bedazzle people. You know, back in the 80s, they had those, what was it, bedazzlers? They had those little, you know, shiny things, and they put them all over everything, your, your britches and your pocketbooks and all that stuff. Well, Paul wasn't sitting there to bedazzle people with his eloquent words and speaking. He could have. 
Paul was the most school, one of the most schooled men in the Word of God. He sat under the feet of the best preachers, Gamaliel. He sat there for years and, and studied under him, uh, under him in seminary. He could have told them all these, these wonderful things, used these big words and eloquent speaking. Paul said, listen, I, I, I didn't come here for that. It wasn't, he says, not with wisdom of words. It doesn't take a lot of wizardry words to make you understand the gospel. There's too many word wizards today standing behind pulpits trying to impress people with their way of speaking. I'm not going to impress you with the way I speak. I'll just tell you that right now. Uh, I'm not very eloquent, as you can tell. But uh, Paul says, I didn't come here to baptize. I came to preach. And listen, it is not of wisdom of words. And he says the reason why, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. Paul was so concerned that the gospel was going to get watered down, that the, that the cross was going to be diminished into something that meant nothing if he came in there and started preaching the words of men, the words of the world, trying to be so smart and try to impress all these people, that, that you know, this elitism crowd. He could have done it. He could have come in there and gave them this big, you know, lecture and, and uh, all these, these things, a big theological explanation of things. But he didn't. He just came in to preach the, the common, plain, simple gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a lot of people today, these so-called doctors, and I'm, I'm a, I've got a doctorate degree in theology. But don't call me doctor. I'm Brother Byron. That's all I need to be known as. But we've got a lot of these so-called doctors that stand up behind the pulpits and they want to, you know, explain, well, it says here in the Greek and in the Hebrew and this and that. Well, it says in the King James this. And so that's all we need to know is what has already been written down here for us. But we have too many of those people. And by the way, we have too many preacher boys today getting up and repeating things they've heard from other preachers that are not even in the Bible, that's not even true, giving these little cutesy cliches and, and jokes and all these things behind the pulpit. Listen, I'm, I'm all for a little bit of humor every now and then. But boy, I've heard some, some awful, terrible preaching. We'll be talking about more about preacher boys tonight in, in the follow-up to this, the foolishness of preaching. This morning we're talking about the foolishness of the cross. But one of the greatest preachers that ever lived here uh, in modern times, back in the 1800s, Charles Haddon Spurgeon. I'm sure everybody's heard of him, English preacher. Uh, Spurgeon was, was uh, uh, very intellectual. Now, he did not even graduate from school. But Spurgeon had learned so much as a young boy, and he had a photographic memory. Spurgeon could take a book, and he could read it, and years later, he could quote the words on the page and tell you what page number it was on. Uh, to this day, if it's not changed, Spurgeon still has written more Christian books than any other Christian author to ever live, except the Lord Jesus, of course. But uh, Spurgeon was very intellectual, very smart. But in his day, when he stood behind the pulpit there in that metropolitan tabernacle that he preached from with all those thousands of people and the balconies and everywhere, he had the largest church in England at the time. He would stand there and he would preach a simple gospel. Words that anyone could understand from the smallest to the tallest, from the least to the greatest, from the, the youngest to the oldest, Spurgeon would do that. And his detractors, these men that were so jealous of, of Spurgeon, they would, they would make fun of him. He speaks like a child, they would say. He has such a, a very low sounding IQ. I mean, they were really cutting the man down, uh, that he, he preached some childlike in his delivery. Thank God for childlike delivery of the gospel. 
I was a child when I heard the gospel. It didn't take some man standing up with eloquent speaking, explaining the Greek and the Hebrew, that for me to understand I was a lost sinner, bound for hell, needed to be saved. I thank God for childlike preaching. Because if the gospel is not understood by the smallest child, then it's not any good. It needs to be understood by all. Listen. Paul says, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. The very last thing that a preacher or anybody wants to do is to make the cause of the cross of Christ to no effect. And you can do it by messing things up, by interjecting your own beliefs, your own thoughts, your own worldly wisdom into the gospel. It don't belong there. If it ain't Bible, it ain't true. So listen, if you want theology and things, I can appoint you to a, a wonderful class in the seminary down at Crown College where I graduated or down to Andersonville Technical Seminary where I also graduated. But listen, you don't need all of that. What you need to know is the plain and simple truth of the gospel. And that is that God sent his only begotten son here to die for this sinful, hellbound world. He hung on a cross. He shed his blood on that cross. He died, he was buried, and he rose again on the third day. That is what you need to know. And if you believe that simple gospel presentation, if you believe it, call on the name of the Lord and thou shalt be saved. It's what the Bible says. It's as simple as that. You believe in the finished work of Christ on the cross, repent of your sins and trust Him as your Savior, you are saved. You're saved. It's simple. And so, listen, the cross of Christ is a symbol of cruelty. That cross that the Romans had, and they weren't the ones that come up with it. Other cultures had done it. The Greeks had used the cross as well, and, and uh, other, other uh, uh, world powers, they've, they've used the cross. But the Romans perfected it. The Romans, that was the most cruel way to die, and that's how a, a criminal died on a Roman cross. And we all know, you, you hear it every Easter probably, how, how awful the cross was and how you suffocate is really how you die on a cross. But they beat you almost to the brink of death before they put you on there. And then they nail your hands and feet on that cross and hang you there suspended in, above the earth. And uh, as you're stretched out there, you can't breathe. And so you suffocate. And uh, sometimes they would try to put their feet, uh, push up on the spikes to keep from suffocating to death. And it would just wear you out. And within a matter of hours, you would die from, from suffocation and blood loss. All your blood drained out. Uh, Jesus, when, they, when uh, he was hanging on the cross and that soldier rammed that sword up in his side and came out in the water, uh, his blood was, he'd shed all his blood for us. And so the cross of Christ was a, a form or a symbol of cruelty. Uh, it was where criminals would carry it through that Jerusalem city and people would spit on them and laugh at them and, and curse at them and, and throw things at them and all this. And, uh, but Jesus clung to that old rugged cross. In the day of Jesus, the cross was not a welcome symbol. But today, it has become almost just a, a fashion statement. Uh, listen, I'm going to say something. Don't get mad at me, please. And don't go from here and say, well, that guy come to our church and said he hated people wearing crosses. I'm not saying that. My wife wears them. She's got necklaces with crosses. I'm, what I'm trying to tell you this morning, we have turned the cross, the cross of Christ into a fashion statement, a symbol, a trinket, a piece of jewelry, an orna ornament to put somewhere. And that's about as far as anybody ever does with it. 
Why else do you think you've got these big celebrities? You see them on, on uh, accepting these awards and things. They're wearing crosses. And they say, I first want to thank God. You, they want to thank God for getting out there and ripping all that profane garbage that they're, they're putting out in this society. And they get up and, and wearing a cross. Listen, that's making the cross of Christ to none effect. To none effect. They're just using it as a symbol. I could list you all kinds of these celebrities. I looked it up. I did studies on it. These celebrities that wear crosses and have tattoo crosses and all this stuff. Listen, friends, the cross is not an ornament. The cross is the, is the means of salvation to a lost and dying world. So in the day of Jesus, the cross was not a welcome symbol. You wouldn't go in a house and find a cross in anyone's home. It'd be like walking in your home and finding an electric chair in the living room. It'd be the same thing. So it was cruel. And, and listen, we need to understand when the cross gets reduced to a meaningless symbol, it's lost its power to convict men's hearts. Uh, it becomes powerless when, when the cross is reduced to that. And that's what the world wants to do today, by the way. And Satan wants to do that. He wants to reduce what the cross means. He wants to take that symbol and make it to where it's so common and no one ever even thinks of what actually happened on that cross when they look at it. And so, you know, oh, that's a neat cross. That, that's pretty. Where'd you get that? But the first thought wasn't Jesus died on a cross. They never think of that. So today, the world and Satan wants to have a powerless Christian, a powerless church, a powerless cross, and a powerless Christ. That's the goal today of the world and of Satan. Look now at verse 18 of our opening text there back in Romans chapter 1. Paul says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. I told you the title of this message was The Foolishness of the Cross. He says, But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. Amen. Paul is not saying the cross is foolish. He's saying to them it's foolish. To them, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. That's the way they see the cross. The lost and dying world looks, looks at the cross and it's nothing but foolishness. When Paul's referring to the cross here, he's referring to the entire picture of the gospel. He's referring to what Jesus did on that cross. He's referring to what we just said a while ago, the life, death, and burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The world thinks that is foolishness. So the simple gospel Paul's preaching, he says, is, is foolishness to those that are perishing. Someone that's perishing is someone who is dying in their sins and going to hell. They are going to, when they leave this walk of life, however, however it may be, when they close their eyes in death, you know, we always talk about to be absent from the body, be present with the Lord. Or for that person that's lost, to be absent from your body is going to be present in hell. For eternity, there's no way out of hell. There's not this, this figment of imagination the Roman Catholics have about a place called purgatory. That's not in the Bible. It's not true. There's not a place you can go and somebody can pray you out of there, pay a priest something, give penance and all this stuff, and work your way out of purgatory. That's not in the Bible. That's not true. If you're settled on that, if you've got hopes in that, your hope is nothing but going straight to hell. Can we get any more plain today than that? We need more plain preaching today. 
people standing up and wanting to use other words that mean something else. Listen, I'm going to tell you what the Bible says. The Bible says hell's real. Hell is hot. Hell's a place where the, their worm dieth not. When it says their worm, it's talking about your personal worm that's going to be attacking you. Their worm dieth not. It's a place where the thirst is never quenched. You know, there is nothing greater than having that thirst quenched. I was out there mowing yesterday, and it was hot. It was almost 100 degrees. Our, our thermometer on the back porch said 109. I don't know what it was, but it was hot. And I was out there, and all that, that dead grass blowing around in my face, and I was upset and sweating, boy. And I got that big old bottle of water and turned that thing up. Oh, it was just, oh, it was just wonderful. Can you imagine going to hell for eternity and never, ever having another drop of water and constantly being in torment and thirst. What an awful thing. But Paul says that it's foolishness. So those that think it's foolishness, they're rejecting the truth of the gospel. They're going to go to hell and be punished for their sins. 1 Corinthians 1.27 says, But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. When it talks about the weak things, it means weak in the world's eyes, the world's mind. The world looks upon the church as weak. But God says, no, my church is power. There's power in my church and even the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church that I've established. But the world looks at it and says, weak. God says, I'm going to use the weak things. You know what? I'm going to confound the wise. These these so-called smart people that get up and think they know it all. Mm, confounded. Because they think the cross is foolishness. When Paul was over in Athens, he saw this same thing. If there was another city that was worse than Corinth, it was Athens. Paul went over there. And that's where all those Olympics games and everything, you know, were, were situated or, or centered. Paul went over there to Athens. And the Bible says he saw the city given over to idolatry. He goes into that city and there are idols to every God imaginable. Even had one to the unknown God. Paul says, wait a minute, let me tell you who that unknown God is right there. You you don't know who it is, but let me tell you. And so he starts preaching things. And in Acts 17 and 18, the Bible says, then certain philosophers, there we are, the smart people, those of wisdom, those just like in Corinth that were so elite. It says, Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics encountered him. And some said, What will this babbler say? Others, some, he seemeth to be a center forth of strange gods, because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. In other words, the cross. He preached the cross. And they took him and brought him unto Areopagus. That was the place where they went and they, they judged men. And they, they would get up and they'd give these big dissertations and stuff. And people would stand there and judge them. You know, well, they took Paul up there to kind of give a defense of what he's doing. They want to know what's going on. Saying, may we know what this new doctrine whereof thou speakest is. For thou bringest certain strange things to our ears. We would know therefore what these things mean. Strange things. These people are worshiping hundreds of gods, Greek gods they've never seen in their life. And they're calling the gospel of of Christ strange? Uh, How crazy. So Paul preached the the cross of Christ to them, the gospel. Listen to what happened when he did. And he finished up. It says in Acts 17.32. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead. In other words, the death of Christ on the cross and him being resurrected on the third day. Some mocked. And others said, we will hear thee again of this matter. 
So Paul gets up there and preaches the plain and simple truth of the gospel that Jesus came and died on that cross and was buried and rose again on the third day. And as soon as they heard he rose again on the third day, they, they just, that's it. Oh, no, you went too far, Paul. You're crazy. We're not, he said, some of them say, well, we'll come back and visit this again. In other words, we're done with you. They're not going to come back and hear him again. These other ones, what did it say there? It said uh, they mocked, some mocked. The world is mocking the cross today. If someone, if y'all are recording this, and I don't know if you are, but if you are and somebody sees this that's not in this church, they may look at this and they say, those people out there are crazy. And they will mock. Listen to all that garbage up there, that guy spewing out. And that's what the world does. Why? Because the world don't know God. The world don't know Jesus. They hate Jesus. They hate God. They hate Christians. They hate the church. And so they're going to mock it. They'll make fun of it. And so men today are still mocking the cross. They deem it foolish. These educated speakers in our colleges and universities trying to indoctrinate these children. And they are. They're doing a good job of it. Children go in there. Christian kids go into college. And that, that college professor stand up there and make them feel like they're the dumbest person on earth because they believe in Jesus. And before you know it, four years later, they came out and they claimed to be agnostic and atheist and all these other things. Listen, friends, the, the world is, is just waxing worse and worse. It ain't getting better. People talk about, well, you know, it's going to get better. You know, we're going to see revival. And I pray that we can see revival, but the Bible tells me that it's going to get worse. And as you see that day approaching, you need to be gathering together more, what the Bible tells us to do, uh, so we can come together and, and have that, that fellowship that we have in Christ. Can you imagine facing this cruel world that hates Christians all on your own by yourself with nobody else? Friends, the Lord has a church body for a reason. It's for a reason. So men today are, are still mocking the cross. They, but these men, these same men, will be just like these that Paul talks about that will perish. And they will scream through eternity in hell if they don't believe in Jesus. Romans 1 and 22 says, professing themselves to be wise, they become fools. So you'll have men stand up and say, well, let me tell you the truth about this. And this is what I believe is going to happen. Well, I don't care. Tell me what the Lord says is going to happen. I'll listen. I don't care what you have to say. I want to hear what God has to say. So... In other words, this resurrection, this crucifixion, this cross that's being preached today is nothing but foolishness to the world, and it will continue to be that way. Paul also warned the church at Philippi about rejecting the cross. Listen to what he said in Philippians three eighteen and 19. He said, For many walk of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. Paul was so distraught over this, the Bible said, he tells him, he says, I'm telling you this, weeping. It's causing me to weep what's going on around here. The way that the, the cross is being diminished, there's actually enemies of the cross. This world is an enemy of the cross. They hate the cross. They're an enemy of this church. During the pandemic, when they were, they were just loving it when they were shutting churches down. They love it. And I know there was a time we had to be very careful that, that pandemic and all that stuff. But listen, 
Over in California, some of those big churches, they, they locked those things up. They wouldn't allow them to go in there. They're charging them thousands and thousands of dollars if they congregate in the church, having to go out in the parking lot and have services and all that stuff. Listen, the world loved that. They love to see that Jack Treber out there in California at his church has to pay thousands and thousands of dollars now because he opened his church up for a short time of period. They love that. And they say, see, look at that fool. Look at that fool. Well, it's the foolish things that God's going to use. It's the foolish things. The world's ideas are foolish. Men had better open their eyes. Let me go a little further. Men had better open their heart. They better open their heart and trust Jesus as their Savior. They better see the cross for what it really is. It is a symbol of life. It's a symbol of salvation. It's a symbol of love. It's a symbol of what Christ did for us. The Bible says to us that are saved, it is the power of God. The power of God. Who here today believes in the power of God? Who believes in the power of God? Do you not believe it? I believe in it. And I believe that He sent that power through His Son, Jesus Christ, who died on that cross, and that cross is a symbol of God's power. No other power on this earth can save man. It's only through Jesus you can be saved. How did Jesus die? On that cross. Paul declared to the Galatians, Galatians 6.14, But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. So Paul wasn't wanting to glory about the way he could speak or his education or all that stuff. In fact, he told one place that I count all that stuff as dunk. And, and so here he's saying, listen, God forbid I should glory in anything. I don't have a right to tell you how wonderful I am or how many people got saved under me, how many people baptized under me. And it doesn't matter. He said, what matters is the cross. I'm going to glory in the cross. Y'all ever sing that song? I will glory in the cross. Beautiful song. So listen, while we look at celebrities that are, you know, wearing the cross as a fashion statement, getting up and, and, and screeching out vulgarities and singing songs about nasty things and taking their clothes off on screen and all that stuff and wearing a cross of Christ and, and diminishing it and making it from nothing to no effect, we know the truth about the cross. We know the truth. And it's, it's not a pretty sight to look on. Isaiah 53, 2 and 3 says, He has no form or comeliness. And when we shall see Him, there's no beauty that we should desire Him. He's despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from Him. He was despised and we esteemed Him not. What an awful thing it was to look upon Jesus as He hung there on that cross. But what a glorious thing it is for us to be able to look back and see what He did on that cross. The purpose, the reason of that cross. That's why we can stand here today and sing these old hymns and lift up the name of the Lord Jesus and sing about that cross. My friend, this world we live in today is like, like the world of the Corinthians. We, all, we think we're so wise. The world thinks it's so wise. We have all this wisdom. The world is self-centered, self-loving, self-serving. They could care less about, about God or anything that you have. Why do you think they, everybody goes around doing this? Posting it all over the internet. Do you see, there was some, some lady last week on, on the front of the news. 
She got off on this high cliff. She's a social media influencer, as I said. She gets out on this high cliff and taking a selfie, right off and killed herself. It's a self-absorbed selfie world is what this is. But listen, the cross of Christ is the power of God. Foolishness to the world, precious to us. But the world thinks it's wise. But listen, what the Bible says, and we'll finish. There, in, starting in verse 19, it says, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world of believe. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ are mighty and base things of the world, and things which are despised has God chosen. Yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are you in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. What are you glorying in this morning? Is it your education? Is it your wisdom? Is it your smartness? Is it your humor? What is it that you're glorying in today? Your, your great job? You know, the world glories in a lot of crazy things. Are we glorying in the Lord today? In the cross of Christ? It's the only place we have to glory. We're nothing without Him. We're nothing without the cross. Without the cross, we're all bound for hell. Thank God Jesus died on that cross to save you, to save me, to save the world. Even those that think it's foolish, He died on that cross for them. All we have to do is believe that and call on His name. Oh, Lord. I'm a sinner. I believe that you came here and you died on that cross to save me from my sins. I don't want to be a lost sinner anymore. I want to turn my heart over to you, my soul. Save me, Lord Jesus. Save me. Call on the name of the Lord and thou shalt be saved. It's all men have to do today. It's so simple. Only... Believe. That's what it says. Only believe. Please stand this morning. Brother Scott, go ahead and come up and get a song. I don't know where you're at today or what's going on with you. If you need prayer for any reason, I'd love to just pray with you down here if you want to pray. Uh, But Scott, go ahead and sing. If you have a need, you come down.